Come and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. As we continue on in our series, we've been dealing with the subject of stewardship. We spent some time here in the summertime talking about being gathered together, the importance of kind of coming out of our corners, and now we're talking about giving together. Not only why corporate fellowship is important, but why corporate stewardship is important. I know that it takes a lot of effort for you to be here on a Sunday morning. There's a lot of moving pieces and parts for you to come here. A special thank you to all of those who come early to set up for worship. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for understanding and seeing this day, this moment, as priority in your life, as an important moment. You have many hours in the course of a week, and you have many important things to do. I want to encourage you and remind you that what you have chosen to do this morning, coming together, great effort, to stand and sing, to listen to the preaching of the Word of God, you have chosen well, and I commend you for your faithfulness. The Lord's Word calls us to worship and gather together, and you are doing that. A lot of things are swirling. It just seems like a busy, kind of hectic season, summer. Before we go any further, I'd ask that you would bow your heads and pray with me before we look into the Word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this church that is gathered, the bride of Christ. And Father, as we take a few moments to set aside and look at your word, to listen and, Lord willing, learn, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be unleashed amongst us. Father, my heart goes out to just many people today, many situations and families dealing with sickness or illness. I, I think of some in our community dealing with the loss of loved one. Father, we, we pray as well just for some sense of uncertainty, like people are on pins and needles, like what's next? What's the school year going to look like? Father, we thank you that you are sovereign, that there's nothing that takes you by surprise. And I pray, Lord, that as we have been given the responsibility to steward each day, each dollar, to steward each breath and beat of our heart, that you would direct us and guide us in your wisdom. Oh, how we love you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that we gather in his name. Lord, personally, if I could ask, please help me this morning to speak in a way that brings glory and honor to you. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. You will hear me talk a lot, even to the little ones, about accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are in need of being saved from our sin. Jesus, by dying on the cross, by placing our faith in his work, he becomes our Savior. But I also talk a lot about him being Lord of our life, which means what? He's the one who calls the shots. I talk about the fact when Jesus is Savior and we submit to him as Lord, it means that every part of us, mentally, the way that we literally think, physically, the way that we walk and live and talk, we've talked about what? We submit to the Lord 
That means even it affects our financial lives. All of these areas are connected to our spiritual life. Last couple of weeks, we've looked at the importance of what we call stewardship. It, it teaches us in Scripture, it's required for a steward to be found faithful. And so we've looked at the fact that stewardship is knowing God owns everything, everything, and we're just his money managers. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the psalmist writes. We've talked about the fact that our heart always goes wherever we put God's money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last week, we talked about the fact that heaven is our home. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, now what I want to do this morning is I want us to kind of pan back a little bit, looking at all of those things and ask, ask a question like this, knowing we all know that the stuff around us is not ours. And, and this place here is not our home then how are we supposed to live? We know that we all have to work. We all have to eat. How are we supposed to, to study and sleep? We have to pay bills. How are we to worship and witness at some level if this isn't our home, if nothing is ours? There's a sense of like, then how do I live my life? What is my focus to be? Where, where, where's my goal? What do I live for? How am I to live? It's very interesting that we pride ourselves, and understandably so at some level, but it's still grace, common grace upon grace, that as Americans, we have a history of just what? Of putting our heads down, keeping our what, nose to the grinds, and just working hard. And, and we read about our history books are filled with the success of just what? American grit and determination, drive. From our history books, we learn of this from wars that we have won to this past week to watching in the Olympics. We're reminded of what, what hard work actually gets you. I watched one of our American swimmers literally well up with tears after he won a gold medal this week. And he said, 22 years I've been working for this moment. That's hard work. This morning I read that a gold medal at the Olympics is worth approximately $800. A silver medal is worth about 450 and a bronze medal, melt it down the materials, a bronze medal is worth about $5. 22 years of hard work. And you come across with a piece of cloth and a gold medal worth about 800 bucks. And we celebrate that. I'm not taking anything from that. I'm just talking about let's pan back for a moment and, and say, like, is this really all worth it? As a church, as a community, we are known as hardworking people. But for what? I oftentimes challenge you, and you're sick of hearing this, like, hang around graveyards and, and, and landfills. Like, watch what's happening out there. Be reminded of that. And it seems to keep life in perspective. Souls over stuff. Souls over stuff. I saw an email come across recently that, that Pastor Stewart and the young people are working on a Big Woods t-shirt. I don't know if that's true or not. Hopefully they are. Hopefully I'm not, like 
blowing a surprise. My, my recommendation is this. Souls over stuff. That's what we focus about. The reason being is what? As hard as we work, as driven as we are, we will never have enough. And we see that today in the life of this one man. His name is, is Solomon, King Solomon. Now, I actually checked it out according to a website called lovemoney.com. And I'm not joking on that one. It's real. You can be assured that there is a list. It's called the, what, the gallery list of the richest people ever. Okay, you're not going to see the Apostle Paul listed on lovemoney.com. You're not going to see Jesus listed. However, you will see, by way of order, Bill Gates is worth approximately $144 billion. In all of time, particularly in our own country, the very first millionaire, John Jacob Astor, was worth about $168 billion in today's money. Elon Musk, we hear him in the news all the time, $189 billion. Jeff Bezos, $204 billion. Andrew Carnegie, years ago, the equivalent of $337 billion. John D. Rockefeller, $367 billion. Like, that's with a B. Try to get that. As the list continued on, do you realize who is at the top? It is estimated in today's value that King Solomon was worth about $2 trillion. $2 trillion. Now, what's interesting is not only does he exceed everyone in wealth, but he actually, according to Scripture, exceeded everyone in wisdom as well. 1 Kings chapter 3 says that they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him. They just, they just saw him and they just stopped and they stared. They stood in awe. First Kings chapter 4 says that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Thankfully, thankfully, that in his wisdom, he gives to us wise words on what? How we live, how we are to love, and how we are to give and serve and sleep and work. And I'm grateful for that. So as we listen to his words, I want you to pay particular attention to the content of them and how they apply for us today. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we will read this. It begins in verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Down to verse 16. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there in him who, toil, who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and sickness and anger couple points i want to give to you this morning the first one is this loving money loving money leads according to scripture to much misery the word what is vexation the word vexation means to be incensed to be in a state of strong displeasure 
It actually builds upon the word vexation. You want to love money? There's no satisfaction in it. It's actually going to lead to sickness and to anger. Yet what is really interesting is this. Every single one of us know people who live and love money. They live for money. Entire careers are chosen. Like what I'm going to do every day of my life, entire careers are chosen based on how much am I going to get. Universities are chosen about what's it going to give me in the long run based entirely upon what will I get. Yet it's very clearly and openly known that some of the richest people in the world have all commented and they have said very much like Solomon, it is not worth it. I just mentioned the first multimillionaire in the United States, John Jacob Astor, a number of years says this, and I quote, I am the most miserable man on earth. I know a lot of us would like to say, I'll give that a whirl. Give me a couple million. I'll give that a whirl. Vanderbilt railroad magnet says the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John Rockefeller said what I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie says millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford says I was much happier doing a mechanic's job. Bill Gates says what? As our wealth grew, we have decided that what? Wealth wasn't something good that we would pass on to our children. What, why are statements like that made? Why can't we have a shot at making some of those statements? Why is it that money does not satisfy? Why is it that Solomon, the wisest in the world, would attest to that truth? Let me tell you why. Let me give you the answer. As human beings, we are created, you are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. In the image of God, what? A part of us, our soul, is eternal. Which means what? We are built to live for eternity. We're built to live for the eternal and not the temporal. In a sense, as we've been watching this unfold, we are not sprinters. We are designed and made to be marathoners. Yet what is interesting is that we want the quick fix. We want the reward. We want the pleasure. We want the feeling of comfort now. We want it in the next 10 seconds. We don't want it in the next 10 years. One of the things that money does is give us what we want now. And that's not how God has designed us. We're not to love or live for the quick so important is this subject that Paul was actually what mentoring a young pastor, Timothy, who he knew was going to be standing up and preaching to crowds. And he reminded him what? The love of money is the root, is the base of all kinds of evil. Oh, the list is long. Every single one of us can think of many people who have ruined and wrecked their lives 
by living in this moment. What will this moment give me? How will this minute feel? How can I get it to feel better? Rather than what? Understanding that we are not here for the next minutes. We are here and we are designed to live for eternity. Randy Alcor, and I've quoted him in this series, says this, that you are created to live for the line of eternity, not for the dash of this temporary life. You've all seen the bumper sticker before that, that says this, he who dies with the most toys wins. Isn't that interesting that we live in a sense to kind of accumulate toys for us? And there are millions upon millions of people who have lived with that as a goal. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. Personally, I love the bumper sticker that I saw following that. And it says this, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. There's truth to that. Think for a moment of why you live, why you are here. You've lived your life devoted to acquiring comfort and things and the pleasure for this moment, then you are missing out. You don't win, as the world may say. You lose. Listen to Solomon's summation. He says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I became great and I surpassed all. Just think of a description of your life for a moment. We've all, okay, we, we all have like little trophy cases and ribbons and little medals that you've hung up on a hook somewhere. Okay, we all think that we've won something at some point. Just imagine this. I surpassed everyone. Solomon says this. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expanded in doing it, and behold, all of it was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. We've been planning activities as a church to spend time together. Here's an activity. Go home later today and go catch some wind. Take a jar, send the kids out in the field, and go chase after and bring back a gust of wind. Other than getting a break from the kids a little while and having them run in through the field, there's really not going to be much that's accomplished. With That's actually how Solomon describes his life. It was as if I was chasing after wind. We know that loving money, living for stuff, will not bring satisfaction or bring peace. But thankfully, Solomon actually continues on, and he offers to us needed wisdom. <clears throat> Secondly, we'll see this in verse 12. Working hard leads to sweet sleep. This is biblical principle. Listen to verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Now, the subject of sleep, I'm, I'm quite fascinated with. We have two little grandsons with us for the summer, and, and sleep is like a lot of the subject matter. Like, are they asleep or not? Oh, no, they just got up. Get them back to sleep again. 
and it's hard to get them. Sleep, we know, is a precious, precious commodity. And sweet sleep. You ever ask in the morning, how did you sleep? Well, I closed my eyes and I kind of tossed and turned. Listen to this. The Cleveland Clinic reported December the 23rd, 2020, so fairly recently, reported that more than 100 million Americans of all ages are not getting an adequate amount of sleep. That's, that's what? That's almost one out of three. Matter of fact, the Cleveland Clinic reported that 70 million people in the United States suffer from sleep disorders. A recent National Sleep Foundation Sleep in America poll found that adults ages 18 to 54 showed a downward trend in sleep over the past several years. People are sleeping less, more, less now than they have ever in the past. There's actually, which is quite interesting, a downward trend in, in sleep time that has been observed in children. And I, I examine this. Listen to this. This is true. This is according to the Cleveland Clinic in December. Caffeine consumption. <laughs> Duh. Give a coffee to a kid before he sleeps. That the number one and two reasons that kids are not sleeping is caffeine consumption and having a television in their bedroom. Who's their mom and dad? But you realize that what happens, what is the number one leading effect? Not just what, a grogginess and a slowiness and a blurriness, but what, anxiety and depression are the effects of not getting enough sleep. What is the description of our world today? People that are anxious and depressed. Well, why is it anyway, when we think about sleep, why is it that God even designed us for sleep? Like, he could have created us to not sleep. Think about how much more we could accomplish if we never had to sleep. Like, we just go all day, every day. But instead, God actually designed us to spend one-third of our lives, one-third of our lives, I read this week, like dead men. One-third of our lives totally to shut down down. Why is that? Realize there's a reason. The psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 4, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. That there's something happens that we get a glimpse. Again, the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 127, verse 2, it is vain that you rise up early. Praise God for that. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved in his sleep. He actually gives to us as you plug in your phone at night to recharge. That is exactly what God's gift of grace is to you as you drift off. John Piper writes on a brief theology of sleep. Listen to this. According to the text, which is the one I read, Psalm 127, sleep is a gift of love. It is a gift that is often spurred by anxious toil. Peaceful sleep is the opposite of anxiety. God does not want his children to be anxious, but to trust in him. I conclude, Piper writes, listen to this. God made sleep as a continual reminder that we 
should not be anxious, but should rest in him. Sleep is a parable that God is God and we are mere men. God handles the world nicely while a hemisphere sleeps. Sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. I love that reminder. We all know that we sleep best. We sleep best when what? When we have worked hard. Not, not laying around the couch, eating Doritos, watching TV, playing video games. Okay, You don't sleep well like that. We sleep best, and that's what we talk about here. Work is divinely connected to our divine purpose. God created us. The Lord took man, what? He put him in the Garden of Eden, what? To work. To work it and keep it. The, the wisdom of Solomon this morning reminds us, teaches us that sweet sleep is the reward for hard work. And again, it's the Apostle Paul who doesn't mince words here, okay? And this is a good reminder for our society today that says what? Paul is blunt on this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. We would not be having a worker shortage right now, okay, if people were not eating. If your meal depended upon you going to work, I tell you what, there would not be help wanted signs all over the place. God's word has connected these things to us. They're in our hands, and we are to steward well the work that we've been called to do and the sleep that we have been blessed with. Perhaps some of the most profound counsel in Solomon's wisdom is what? Holding wealth. Holding on to what we have earned. Holding wealth for ourselves. Thirdly and finally, what? Leads to great hurt. Leads to a hurting heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 13. Look at the words. There is a grievous evil. That's pretty strong. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Now, now we know that we what? We teach the full counsel of the word of God. There's not bits and pieces throughout the Bible that we kind of pick and choose. And we know that we teach and preach everything that God in his word has a plan that every piece of instruction is profitable, is useful. And it's what? It's for our good, and it is ultimately for his glory. So the solution to what? To the anxiety that people have today. To the worry that people have today. The anxiety of, of what? Knowing that, like, what am I living for? The, the problem of feeling in emptiness and a void with what? Trying to grasp the wind and hold on to stuff and concentrate and stuff over souls. The solution, according to the Word of God, is very simple. And this is not my words. This is not me trying to like maneuver or manipulate an agenda. 
The solution, according to what it says in the Word of God, is to give. But what's interesting here is that it's very specific on what we are supposed to give to. It's not just giving to anything or anyone. It is to give to extend the kingdom of God. We are to give in such a way that we know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will be promoted, extended, and the name of Jesus will be exalted and God will be glorified. I mentioned Bill Gates recently. I quoted him. Listen to what he says. He said, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more that I could be doing on Sunday morning. You've sacrificed time and effort and energy to be here this morning. It's not very efficient. You know, I was thinking it wasn't very efficient for the man to get off of his donkey to help the one who had been beat up by the robbers. It's a good Samaritan. It wasn't like real efficient for his time, was it? It's never efficient to give that's going to extend the kingdom of God, the glory of God. It wasn't very efficient for Jesus, fully God and fully man. It wasn't very efficient for him to be what? To be bound and whipped and lashed and ultimately nailed to a cross. Not very efficient means of time according to the world's standards or according to one of the wealthiest people in the world's standards. I don't know about you, but I am very grateful for the fact that God moves with souls in mind, with you and I in his focus and on his heart. Solomon, far richer, far greater than a Gates could ever be, learned that what? Affluence does not satisfy. Solomon tried everything. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And yet it's all like chasing the wind. What does the word of God say in closing? 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, For the rich in this present age charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Later it says, Be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for a future, so that they may take hold of that which is really and truly life. Jesus Christ himself says, What profit if a man gains the entire world's but loses his own soul. It's always souls over stuff. Souls over stuff. That's what the Lord is concerned about, first and foremost for you. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in him, you shall be saved. Have you made that decision? Have you begun to face the right way? You have to face the right way before you begin to live the right way. Finally, understand that there is great joy, great, great joy in being content with the life that God has given to you. Don't, don't be searching for something. Don't be grasping and grabbing for something that God has not intended. Be content 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verses 19 and 20 says that we are to accept our lot, accept where we are, rejoicing in his toil and being occupied with joy in your heart. Rejoicing in joy. That's when we accept the fact that what stewardship is knowing life on this earth is brief, but eternity is forever. The great missionary who was martyred for his faith, Jim Elliott, said, He is no fool. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Yeah, but that's like, that's like Jim Elliott. He's like hero of the faith. No, no, that's, that's biblical principle. That's a promise that comes from the word of God. If discontentment in our world here today... Uh, is the disease, what's, what's the cure here? If what, anxiety and stress is the problem, what is the solution? Be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. May we be reminded of what God has done for us in giving to us his own son as an example for us to live in such a way and to love in such a way that we give. Not for the moment that we are in, but for eternity. May that be a reminder and a challenge every single day we wake up to be faithful and to serve him. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the ability to work and to earn. We thank you, Lord, for the sleep that we enjoyed last night. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of inconvenient moments, of times that are not always efficient for us, but times of sacrifice. And we thank you, Lord, that you have modeled that for us through offering your own son, Jesus. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would work on hearts, that we would find the solution and the answer to our stress and our worry and our anxiety that we would not listen to the worlds, but we would listen to you, to your word, the word of God. That we would listen and be obedient. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Aaron and the others come.